This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. The scripture this morning is from Matthew 9, 1 through 8. Matthew 9, 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord. Christ is risen. Still alive, he is still risen, and we're still in Eastertide. Uh, Good morning. My name is Neil, I serve on staff here uh, at Park Church, and we're picking back up in the book of Matthew. Um, but it's, it's good to, to remember that Easter is a season. Uh, my, we, we go kind of big with Easter uh, in our home. We think it should be at least as big of a celebration as Christmas, given what we celebrate. And so the balloons and the music and the feasting and the gifts and all the things, the dancing. Uh, the gifting included a trampoline this year, so my boys are particularly excited. Uh, but the next morning, so this past Monday, uh, Everett, our three-year-old, uh, burst into tears because Easter was over. And he's like, I don't, I want it to still be Easter. I said, good news, buddy. It's still Easter. We're in Eastertide. So this, this is a season over the next several weeks where we get to, to live into the reality that Christ is risen and he is still alive. And that's good news for us as his people, uh, who, whom he has made alive through his, his life. So let me pray for us. Um, asking for God's help as we get back into the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are alive. And, and that means that, that we have been made alive with you, uh, that you bore our sins and you've carried us uh, into the presence of the triune God. And, and, and that means life and joy and hope and confidence here and now. Uh, so please help us as we consider this story, Jesus, the, the work that you did to, uh, to show who you were, to show your power and your tenderness coming together in this, this really beautiful, profound way. May, may that be our experience this morning. Uh, we, we long to experience the God who is. And, and where we, we don't have that longing, where we don't feel that longing, uh, maybe we desire to desire you. Maybe we long for the longing. May, may you grant that. May you stir something up in us uh, by, by the power of your word that, that your spirit would go forth and, and bear fruit and help us to see who Jesus is um, and to see who Jesus is for us in the midst of whatever we're walking through right now. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, my life revolved around basketball. And growing up in the cornfields of Indiana, but not too far from Indianapolis, um, I wanted to be Reggie Miller. 
Uh, he was the Indiana Pacers star back in the 90s, early 2000s, and he was excellent. I, I know, I see Chris up here, he doesn't have the rings, I get it, but I loved, still love Reggie Miller, the way he could shoot a free throw or a three-pointer. Did you guys see the game when he scored eight points in 8.9 seconds against the New York Knicks? If not, this afternoon, maybe after the sun goes down because it's beautiful today, later this evening, go and watch the ESPN 30 for 30 on Reggie Miller. Still remember where I was when that happened. Uh, my friend was so excited. He was jumping up and down. He, he slammed his face on the fireplace and he was bleeding. So we're like trying to tend to him, but still excited. It's kind of awkward. Uh, it's still celebratory. I wanted to be Reggie Miller. So I realized that's not possible. I can't be Reggie Miller. So I want to be as close to him as possible. Like his greatness, I wanted to be around it. Well, thankfully, uh, I had a friend who uh, had the hookup with Pacers tickets. And he had so many that he would just like give them away to some of his friends every once in a while. So my dad and I would go with those tickets. And they were the kind of tickets that they would let you go in early. And if you kind of fought your way through the crowds, you know, get the parking spot and get in there early, you could make your way up to the railing, right, right where all the players would come out from the locker room to go to do warm-ups. And maybe, just maybe, if you can get their attention, uh, they, will, they will sign something. They will give you an autograph from whatever you have brought with you. So I remember distinctly taking my Reggie Miller uh, basketball card with the Sharpie with my dad. We're fighting our way up to the railing. I'm just like, Reggie, Reggie. He finally, like, makes eye contact, and he comes over my way. He grabs the card, and he signs it and gives it back to me. Here you go, kid. And it's just like, this is amazing. I don't know why it's amazing, but it's amazing. Like, this great player who does wonderful things that people are willing to pay money to go see, I wanted to be near him, and now he actually paid attention to me. He saw me, and he, he, he autographed my basketball card, which was on my wall until I was 15 or 21, I don't know, college sometime. When I got married, it probably got packed away. Let's be real. Um, it, there's this draw that we have, whether we're kids or adults, to be around what we deem to be great. It's fascinating some of the reasons that we have. I, I like that person. Uh, you're witty, you're pretty, you're cool, you make me look good, you make me feel good. Uh, you're good at doing things that have some sort of like market demand, and so therefore I must want to be around you if you're out in public. I still remember... Uh, we were in the streets of Hollywood a number of years ago, and somebody's like, Sylvester Stallone just came out of a restaurant. Like, oh, my goodness. So we're, like, running across the streets trying to find him. And then he just kind of, like, looks up and frowns at us and gets in his car. Like, that was anticlimactic. Uh, but there's, there's something about us. We want to be around greatness. We want to be around what we deem to be great. In this story, these friends of a man who cannot walk, maybe from birth, maybe it's a little more recent, but he, he is paralyzed and... His friends want to, to carry him. They fight to carry him into the presence of Jesus. Not because he's witty or good-looking or going to make them popular somehow, but because they have heard the stories by his reputation. They know that when people get into the presence of Jesus, they're made whole. When we get near to Jesus, there's, there's restoration, there's life, there's healing. And so these friends, they... They want, to, they want to fight to get into the presence of Jesus. You can almost imagine uh, the conversation that, that happened uh, back in the home before uh, they, they, they carried the man to Jesus in this home. Uh, it's like, oh, Jesus is back in town. He, I know just where he is. He, he's, he's over in this house. Like, I know the location. I think we can make it in just enough time. 
So they gather their things, and they, they make the trek however long it was to go to where Jesus is. Now look with me in verse 1 as you pick up in the story of chapter 9, Matthew 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. So if you remember from a few weeks ago, Jesus had, had calmed the vicious storm as they're going across uh, away from Jewish territory into Gentile land. And, and once they, they, they land there, he casts out the demons. So he's proven his, his power and sovereignty over creation and proven it over the spiritual realm. And now, uh, because the people there were, were kind of spooked by that, they're like, whoa, this guy has a lot of power. He's casting out demons and uh, perhaps even like undermining uh, some of our means of, of making money by casting them into the pigs. Like, we want him out of here. So Jesus says, okay. And he leaves, gets into a boat, comes back over to Capernaum, more familiar place. Verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, let's stop there. When Jesus saw their faith. So, so here's the situation. We, we don't have all the details from this gospel. The, uh, uh, the other uh, synoptic gospels give us more of the details. So when Jesus comes back to Capernaum, he's in a home. And people are just flocking to him. They, they know his reputation. They know what he can do. They want to hear him. They want to be around him, see what, he can, what miracle he can perform, maybe for them or someone else. So he's in this house just packed out with people. They're probably outside as well. There's no way to like really get up close to Jesus. So these friends bring uh, the paralytic uh, to Jesus. And they're, they're kind of looking and saying, I, we can't get to him. There's no way to even like elbow our way through. It's just like packed with People. So maybe they look through a window or some other elsewhere in the doorway. And they're able to see like, oh, that's where he is. I know. Let's go for the roof. So, so they take him up onto the roof and they tear a hole through it. And they lower him right where Jesus was. And, and, and notice that Jesus pays attention to this. When God's people fight to be in his presence, he, he's paying attention to that. He's paying attention to the pain, to the need, to the desire, to the question, to the longing that we have. He sees and he cares. He didn't seem like frustrated or annoyed or disturbed by that. In fact, he, he seems to welcome it. Like his presence welcomes the, the longings of sufferers and sinners. But look, look again, middle of verse 2. When Jesus saw their faith, we don't know the state of mind or heart or faith of the paralyzed man. We really don't know. Maybe he was the one saying like, hey, guys, we got to go. Like we need to get to Jesus. I want to be healed. Maybe, maybe he's willing to do it. Or possibly, he had asked so many times, pleading with God, pleading for help from others. I want to be made whole. I want to walk again. I want things to change. I want to be restored. I want to be healed. And then to be met again and again and again with nothing, with the situation not changing. Maybe he's in a place of deep discouragement, of despondency, of frustration. Maybe it's his friend's faith that actually not just has to, uh, to, to literally carry him, but, but spiritually carry him into the presence of Jesus. Because, you know, at minimum, it's the friend's faith that Jesus sees. Maybe it includes the paralytic as well, but at least it's this community around him that's carrying him into the presence of God. I think here, especially amidst our often individualistic society, it's worth asking, who is this community for us? Who are these friends? Who are these people that, 
they don't know just kind of like the exterior things, the things that are easy to talk about, like not too broken, not too difficult, not too sinful. Like I kind of have something from the past or I have kind of this under wraps now. Who are the people that, that, that really know? Kind of see more deeply into our souls, into our hearts, into the brokenness and the pain and the suffering, the longings that we have for, for God to work. I remember a number of years ago, Scotty Smith uh, was here speaking to uh, to us at a conference, but then did a, a breakout with a number of our gospel community leaders. And he referenced this story in particular and asked the pointed question, who are the people in your life that are carrying the corners of your mat? Just that visual of, of who are the people that, that are around you holding the four corners of that mat and saying, no matter where your faith is, brother, sister, friend, no matter where you are, no matter how discouraged, no matter how full of hope you are, we're going to be here alongside you, walking with you and carrying you into the very presence of Jesus. I think this is often hard for us. It's hard for me. I want to demonstrate that I, I'm like sufficient in myself. I don't sing that. I don't speak that. I don't think I believe that. But when I start living into the, the, the real brokenness in my life, I want to prove that I actually can find the right resources. I can dig down deeply enough. I can kind of achieve my way through it and be okay. And the reality is, I need, we all need, these friends who are willing to carry us to Jesus. So this is the first thing I want us to see in the text. Community is so often necessary to fight into Jesus' presence. Yes, there's something beautiful of us alone, you know, just coming before the Lord, pleading with him, absolutely. And yeah, that must be connected into a broader web of relationships of people who know us and love us and, and, and are trusted and say, yes, we, we, will, we will carry your, the corners of your mat and we ask that you do the same thing for us. In different seasons, it may tilt one way or the other. But community is so often necessary to fight into Jesus' presence. Well, that's what this man's community does. Are they even to the point of tearing a hole in the roof and, and putting him down? It's like we, we need to get him before Jesus. But when, when they get him there, when we get there, when we get before the face of Jesus, what do we expect him to say or to do? Well, think about this situation. A man is laying on a mat and needing to be carried by others. Like it's pretty clear what his desire is. Jesus is, is demonstrating uh, himself as this healer, as the one who restores. So they're bringing the man to him. And look what Jesus says. Again, middle of verse 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is tender and kind and pastoral. And he doesn't seem to deal with the thing that is being brought before him. Now, a little bit backdrop here is helpful. You know, they, they would not read this in the same way. We would so often in our society, we, we kind of take the, the physical, material world over here that's, that's somehow objective. We can test it. We can experience it. We can prove it, whether or not uh, it's, it's, it's a certain way or not. And then you have kind of the spiritual realm, the immaterial. And that's like, take it or leave it. Uh, it's a little bit more up for debate. You know, don't... don't try to declare like some sort of universal reality in that realm. That's kind of like what is pragmatically helpful for you, like what's useful for you, what works for you. It's so we, we really divide out in our culture a lot of times, just the way we engage the world. You got the physical and you got the spiritual and 
Yeah, it's kind of how they, they, they run on, on parallel but distinct tracks. Well, it's not how Scripture talks about reality. And it's not how this audience would have thought about it either. You know, we read when God spoke reality into existence, that he made the material and the spiritual, and that they're intricately interwoven together. Or that reality has both dimensions, that, that he is made wisely and beautifully. And so even as human persons, we're not just physical, we're not just spiritual, we're actually both together. And so that things that happen in our bodies affect us spiritually. And where our soul is, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, that, that affects us physically. There's impact in both directions. Well, this was much more readily apparent for Jesus' audience. And so this would have seemed quite as strange for them. Uh, but they also would carry it uh, to an unhealthy extreme oftentimes. You know, if we fall off on one ditch, they would often fall off on the other, where they, they would assume that, well, if, if someone has some sort of physical pain or suffering, something going on, then clearly that person sinned to directly cause that. Or their parents did, or their community did, or their relatives did. Somebody did, so that that directly led into this kind of pain. And Jesus says that's not the case. Like, yes, that can happen, that does happen, but it's not quite so clear-cut. It's, it's not quite so transactional. But at the same time, but at the same time, Reality is much more interwoven, much more integrated than we often realize. The physical and the spiritual together. And when we get into the presence of Jesus, as we see in this story, as we've seen throughout Matthew and we'll see even more of, he brings restoration and healing in both. It's complete. It's holistic. He cares about both and he speaks into and brings healing to both. But even still, even with this understanding that the Jesus audience would have had, it still would have been a little bit like, that seems to miss the point. Like, like the friends did a lot of work. Like, I've hauled shingles up on a roof before, never a human. Like, that was not fun in itself. I can't imagine, like, all the work they did to get him up there and then tear this hole to, like, destroy some stranger's property and put him down below. And it's like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to heal. I want, I want to walk. Make me whole again physically, please. And Jesus says, take heart, my child. Your sins are forgiven. So here I think it's, it's worth us considering, what is that thing that we're bringing before Jesus? What, what is the thing that we long for him, that we desire for him to change in our lives right now? The anxiety, the depression, the grief, the relational tension, the discouragement, the longing for marriage, the difficulty within marriage, the brokenness in your marriage, longing for children, difficulty in raising children, frustration in friendships, longing for more intimacy there, more consistency. Maybe there's been betrayal and hurt and pain there. I, I know for me, um, a number of years ago, I had a, a prolonged season of a pretty intense anxiety and depression. I've shared about that before. And, and, and God did a lot of healing in that season over that year and a half and, and began to merge out of that. But ever since that time, there, there are these waves that hit me of just despondency, of just discouragement. Sometimes I can kind of point to the, where it came from. It's like, oh, it's that comment that was made or this stress that I'm feeling or, you know, maybe it's relational tension over here. You know, that's not quite resolved with Aaron yet. And I'm feeling that. But other times it just like comes and a heaviness 
at times lasting days. How many times have I gone before Jesus? It's like, Lord, this is the thing that I want you to heal. Will you change it? Will you please work? Will you please restore? Isn't it obvious? Like, this is where I feel broken. This is where I feel the pain. Won't you come? Won't you speak? I know you can. I know you can speak the word and make all of this go away if you are but willing. And again and again and again and again and again, in some way through Scripture or through a friend, through my wife, through just time alone in prayer, I, I hear again the voice of Jesus, something in the form of, take heart, my child, your sins are forgiven. I have washed you clean. I've brought you into the presence of the Father. I've dealt with the most fundamental need that you have, being estranged from God, being separated from God, being, being alienated from God, and I've, I've done what is necessary to bring you back into relationship with the Father, where he loves you, he delights in you, he sings over you to do you good. And the question that I have to wrestle with, that I think we have to wrestle with, is that enough? Is that enough for us when we, we go with our pain and suffering and brokenness, the, the things that plague our lives, or maybe the pointed experience, the, the, the thing that we want him to do, and he doesn't directly meet that need. Instead, he says, oh, take heart. Take heart, my child. My love is upon you. It's for you. I'm with you. You're brought into this relationship, this intimate triune relationship with the God of the universe, and he sings over you with his love. You have all that you need in me. Is this enough for us? Is it sufficient? Are we okay with a, with a Jesus who would be so bold as to tell us, to tell us what we need and then give it to us, rather than assume that we know what we need most of all? That's the second thing I want us to see, that Jesus knows what we need better than we do, and he's willing to give it. Jesus knows what we need better than we do and he's willing to give it to us. Well, if we haven't seen yet in the book of Matthew, I want us to see it here in this story. Uh, Jesus disrupts our expectations. He's totally fine doing that because that's what's most loving for us. Oftentimes, our our expectations are are off. So he's okay rattling those expectations. Well, he does that here. I want us to, to go back. Middle of verse 2. Right when Jesus says, Take heart, my son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. And then verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes, the, the local religious leaders, they, they said amongst themselves, This man is blaspheming. This man is blaspheming. They actually got some things right about this. Um, they understood that forgiveness only comes from God. Now, God had given the, the temple and the priesthood and sacrifices, the means by which God would, would work through people, work through very specific people to, to cleanse and to, to make whole and to, to forgive for sin, from sins. But they know that, that only God can do that. And, and right now, that there is no temple present. There is no uh, priest, you know, that they recognize as a priest. There's no sacrifices being made. And so they're saying, well, but this is only something that God can do. Therefore, he must be blaspheming. And that's where they miss it. 
because they are accurate unless Jesus is, in fact, God. Unless Jesus is, in fact, the one through whom forgiveness is made. So Jesus responds in verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Well, on the face of it, the easier one to say is your sins are forgiven, because it's unfalsifiable. It's like, you can say it. There's no way to like look and say, oh, they're actually forgiven. Like, it's actually true right now. We can, we can recognize that. But then if you say, okay, rise, get up and walk, your legs are healed, well, that, that's, you can verify whether or not that actually happened. So on the face of it, it's easier to say that, but in reality, the harder thing is to forgive sins, which Jesus proves through Good Friday and Easter. But Jesus is willing. He's willing to do the more visible thing to show who he is. Let's look at verse 6. Let's actually do verse, verse 6 through the end. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So Jesus does physically heal here, but notice why he does it. Look in verse 6. But that... Given us the purpose. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then speaks the word and he's healed. Is, is this our longing? Is this our motivation? Is this my motivation? When I come before God and ask him to heal, to heal the pain, to change my circumstances, to do something in my life, that others would see and experience Jesus as he is. Often, if I'm honest, that's not my motivation. Oftentimes, it's, I want my life to be a little more comfortable. I actually had some plans and visions of what my life would look like at this stage and where I would go here and kind of what this relationship would look like and and where things would would pan out over here. And and I want you to, to change my life in such a way that it aligns better with my vision of what I thought things were going to be, of what I really longed for. But here Jesus says, I'm willing to heal. I'm healing so that more people in more places may come to know and experience and see the God who is through the person and work of Jesus, that he has the authority. The Son of Man, the Son of God has the authority to make us whole, to bring us back to God himself. This is the third thing that I want us to see. Jesus heals to show who he is. And this must bring us to our knees. See, the crowds get it right. The crowds get it right in this, in the, in this one. Verse 8, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God. Because they were using a similar logic to the, to the scribes. They're saying, well, we know that the God's the only one who can forgive. And this, this rabbi Jesus, he just said that, that this man was forgiven with no priesthood or sacrifices, anything else. Like he, he just said, you're forgiven. But then he did the thing that we can see, which shows that God's power and presence is upon him and working through him. Therefore, God is active. God is doing something. God is showing up right now. So either this guy is the Messiah that we have longed for and hoped for, or at least he's some sort of priest that we've never seen before. 
unlike what has come in the past. So they're afraid, but they also give glory to God. They recognize God is the one who, has, who is at work. So in the end, Jesus is able to heal. He's able to forgive because he is God himself. He is God taken on flesh, drawn near to us in our brokenness in a complete sense, spiritual and material. He said, I, I see you. I, I know what's going on. And he speaks from that place of power in tenderness. Take heart, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, you've been made whole, you've been made complete, you've been cleansed, you've been brought back to the presence of God. His love is now upon you. And so that's where I want to I end our time in a little bit of response, just to, to reflect and pray uh, to ourselves um, as we consider who Jesus is in this story. Is it sufficient? Is it enough for us that Jesus gives us himself? That he washes us clean and brings us back to the Father? So so these two questions, what do you think that you need from Jesus right now? What is it you think? Consider the scope of your life, the details of your life, uh, the stuff that maybe gets kind of tucked away in the recesses of your heart. What is it you think you need from Jesus right now? And then number two, what might Jesus be giving you that you actually need instead? So it's a call to pay attention to my own heart. What am I expecting Jesus to do? What am I longing for him to do? Which is good for us to acknowledge. But we need to acknowledge it. We need to be honest about that. And then to pay attention, like, who is Jesus in the midst of that? What might he be doing? What might he be giving that I actually need? And how might those two be different? So let me, let me pray for us. And then we'll go into a couple minutes of, of just praying and reflecting, allowing the Spirit to search us and know us. So Spirit, please do that even now. That Jesus, may your voice be so vivid in the places that we need it. Take heart, my child, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my child, you are seen and loved. Take heart, my child, you've been brought into the presence of God, and he delights in you, and he sings over you with that delight. Give us the the freedom of honesty. Maybe just, may may the roots of our soul go a little bit more deeply into your love, knowing that you're with us, you're attentive, and you are at work. Please speak to us now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.